Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hey there, everyone. This season is over. Since Hawk isn't with us anymore, tribute to him. Uh, I'm not sure if that was totally necessary or not, but this is your season-ending Blackhawks Crazy podcast. Not the doesn't mean there's not going to be podcasts during the offseason. We'll work on that as we go along here. But uh, after the Blackhawks' uh, final press availability of the season, following the end of their season, Saturday night in Nashville 5-2, it's Chris Bowden, your Blackhawks pre- and post-game host on WGN Radio. It's also Scott King, your Chelsea blogger, your NHL.com correspondent here. At our WGN studios on Sunday, uh, a quick trip over here from the United Center after uh, we had our last chance to talk to the guys. We'll hear from Stan Bowman. We'll hear from Jeremy Colleton on this podcast, among other things. I don't know if we're going to necessarily hear from any players because, Scott, uh, they all kind of ended up saying the same thing when they met the media here. Yes, it's going to be great to open a training camp with uh, knowledge of Jeremy and his system uh, you know, under their belts. Uh, they ho- they think that's going to help them this year. They're encouraged by the steps taken this year, and uh, they all think they're just a, a couple of players or two away and some tweaks or two away from becoming a playoff team again next year. I don't know if it's necessarily that simple. It's nice to say. Time will certainly tell on that, but that seemed to be kind of the, the theme running through the course of the afternoon and our last chance to talk to the guys. It was. I thought, you know, another maybe kind of uh, secondary theme was was Stan Bowman. Some of the players touched on his younger players stepping up, like Debrinkin and Strom. Gustafson, maybe not as young, but, um, you know, him being maybe newer to the league, uh, coming in and, you know, being a defenseman who could quarterback a power play, have a the breakout season. He did. So, yeah, there was there was that and these tweaks. They're not the tweaks they need are not that easy. It's not. It's not easy. To, it's not a tweak necessarily to get a number one, number two defenseman. Um, you know, maybe just getting one of those could make you a playoff team. When you look at how things unfolded this year, but I think you know, you know the the previous things you mentioned, uh, especially having a camp, knowing Colleton's system already, the guys who played for him this year, even some of the guys who might have played a little for him in Rockford, uh, helps. But there might be you know there might be a handful of new players you never know they're kind of going to have to uh learn it in camp that didn't have experience with him this year so it is going to be huge to uh kind of hit the reset button here well you'll hear stan bowman here in a bit uh, talk about the fact that there will be changes there aren't uh never changes made in any off season i'm not sure if i phrased that right but you know there are always going to be changes made every off season in even for stanley cup winners and that certainly was the case a couple of times in the blackhawks when they're stanley cup especially the first one but Troy and I were talking about on our final postgame show Saturday night, the penalty kill. I'm not sure if it's tweaks in philosophy. You probably need to go out and get guys who are good at penalty killing because evidently what's on the roster right now is not going to be good enough. And to be the last-ranked penalty kill team in the league, that is going to, quote-unquote, kill you time and again over the course of a season, especially when points are at a premium. That's going to have to improve. The power play, it ended up at 20%, but it was like a power play sandwich where it was horrible the first couple months of the season. And then over the last month, it wasn't that good either. So between that, trying to find a face-off guy trying to find a little bit more depth scoring, whether it takes trading one of these promising defensive prospects as part of a package in order to get a more veteran player who has a pedigree and a toughness and knows how to penalty kill, that may have to be part of the equation as well, because when you look at the defensemen who are available in free agency, Uh, they tend to skew as more offensive, and that's the last thing the Blackhawks need. There were a couple available last year that uh, uh, they weren't able to spend money on and probably would have suited them better this year, and now uh, that particular market has seemingly dried up, at least as far as free agency goes. So there, there are subtle things. Um, it's nice to have a number one goaltender once a frustrated Corey Crawford gets over his his groin injury, with, which he thinks is going to take a couple of weeks. Um, I'm glad I didn't ask that question, by the way. Yeah. There's, there's no other way to phrase it as to how is your groin. 
Yeah, that was the opening question for Corey. And you can tell he is, he's really ticked off because he was 60 minutes away from a completely healthy offseason. Finally got over the concussion yeah. stuff, and he seemed a little bit... I don't know if it was down or salty. The, the fact that yeah I, yeah, yeah, I agree. He didn't look. He didn't look happy. He seemed, you know, he seemed frustrated. Not. He wasn't frustrated towards anyone. Um, at least when I was in there, I was in there for probably half of it. But uh, his demeanor, yeah, he was. Uh, he was a disappointed fellow. And I, I want to add to what you were saying about the PK. And as much as they have to go out and and get guys who can kill, they might also have to replace maybe their best penalty killer. And Marcus Kruger is probably not going to, or one of their best this season. He may not be here next year. And I don't think he will be there next year. And to be quite frank, you know, he he struggled on the penalty kill too towards the latter half of the season. He wasn't the face-off guy he was the previous time he was here. So, as Troy and I were kind of discussing on on the post game show, or maybe it was one of the intermissions when when Stan rolls up his sleeves here. Yeah, they have a bunch more salary cap space than they had a year ago and in previous years. I shouldn't, shouldn't just say a year ago, many previous years. But it's not like he's going to be able to go out and pick and choose whoever he wants. The Blackhawks have competition now with teams, uh, other teams that can be enticing to players out on the market. They're not the king of the hill anymore, either in, in terms of the way they win and the facilities that they may necessarily have. Everyone else has, you know, gotten up to snuff for the most part. So he's going to have to try to find the right matches and guys who can wear several hats, who can be a good face-off guy, who can be a good penalty killer. You thought you had that with Kruger this year, and I thought it was kind of a disappointment from what the Blackhawks, you know, got in, from what they probably expected out of him based on what Kruger had given them in the past. And, you know, whether one of those penalty killers are also, you know, at least a second-pair defenseman, defensive defenseman that they can rely upon. Um, you know, he, he's going to have to mix and match with some of the guys that are out of the market. I mean, a, a perfect fourth-line center who does it for Vegas and who kills penalties and who is very good in the faceoff. That is a guy like uh, Pierre-Edouard Belmar of Vegas, and he becomes a free agent. That could be a potential target. You know, and, and we can throw darts at a dartboard with, with free agency. You know, I, I'm kind of wondering if there might be an interest on, on Jeremy Calton's part to bring Brock Nelson of the Islanders, a guy he used to play with, uh, who becomes a free agent and is in his prime as well. And uh, not so great on the face-off dot, but guy who can provide some depth scoring too. I don't know. Yeah, there'll be some mixing and matching with, you know, guys that are on the current roster too. So, so this is going to be an interesting off season with how Stan, how much Stan attacks this. He acknowledges that, that there are weaknesses that he needs to address. How well he can address them is going to be what's real interesting. Unfortunately, we have to wait till, till July first or so when that happens. Um, yeah. So who's this? Who's this fellow we might bring over now? Edouard Belmar? No, I, I thought uh, I thought uh, Pierre Edouard Belmar was. Uh, Vegas has the has the best fourth line in the league, and he is the, at the center of it. And if you're talking in terms of role players who can step up and do a job, um, you know uh, that was just one name that, that popped out in terms of being a good faceoff guy and who can serve multiple roles. And you know, there's a couple out there. there there's wish lists, whether it's Ryan Dezingle coming back into the area or whether he wants to stay in Columbus where he went to college. Uh, you know, People I know are, are fans and aren't fans of Matt Duchesne. But the Blackhawks don't necessarily have the pick of the litter like they did. And granted, in years past when they were winning Stanley Cups, they didn't necessarily need the stars. It was those role-player guys that they had to target. But those are going to be more difficult to come by here with the competition that they have. When they were winning those Cups is when Kruger was at his penalty-killing best right. and uh, when, when uh, Q can rely on him to be out there against the top matchups uh, with the those Stanley Cup uh, clinching games ending. So, yeah, things have, things have definitely changed. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what they have to do, who they, who they add going forward. 
Let's uh, hear now a stretch without further ado uh, from Stan Bowman. A uh, good chunk on a variety of topics here when he addressed the media. It was a total of about 30, 32 minutes or so. We're not going to bring all of that to you. We're going to pick and choose. But uh, here's some of what Stan Bowman had to say as the season wraps up with 84 points and above 500 and actually not in last place in the Central Division either as Minnesota slipped behind the Blackhawks. But again, for the second straight season, not making the playoffs and not winning a playoff series since they won the 2015 Stanley Cup. The feeling is much different now than it was a year ago. I think we have a a clear path forward of how um, we're going to be better next year. Um, And just, you know, reflecting back on this season, it's been, uh, there's been a lot of things that have been happening, obviously with a new coach coming in and our team getting adjusted to that. It took some time. Uh, but when you know you look at the last 50 games, we were playing at about a 100 point pace, um, you know, and that's a pretty good chunk of the schedule. It's not like a, a 10 or 12 game segment where we got hot. Uh, I think for the last 50 games, we were playing, you know, like a team that could contend for the division title. Um, but we had a lot of ground to make up. So um, the goal now is to build on that. I think you know we showed progress from a year ago till today, and we expect you know progress again going forward. So. You know, obviously, we sort of look at it on, on a couple-year horizon, um, and like last year was sort of the low point. We're building to where we are now, and next year we expect to be even higher. So um, we're on the right path, and uh, there's a lot of things to be excited about. And similarly, there's things that we need to improve, and that's our job between now and training camp. Personnel, as it stands now, good enough in your mind, or do you need to make significant aggressive moves this summer? Well, we're not going to bring the same group back. Um, that's clear. Uh, we don't do that really any year. There's changes to every team. Even the team that ends up winning the Cup this year will have some different players. So um, we're going to have some new players next year. Uh, and what we're going to do is try to improve in the areas where we think our team needs some help. Um, and you know, the way that looks isn't completely clear right now. But we have time over the next couple months to sort of dive in and look at our team in greater detail and figure out how we're going to make that happen. There's obviously there's free agent signings, there's trades, um, there's growth from within. Those are the ways that your team improves year to year, and uh, we're going to do that. So um, we're going to have some new players here next year for sure. But we have a lot of players that are going to be back, and I think you know a lot of the key guys who had good seasons, they're coming back for sure. Um, So, you know, we don't need across-the-board changes, but we do need some new players. Yeah, yeah, I would expect us to be more active in the, the summer free agent market than we have been in years past. I mean, first of all, we have the cap flexibility to do that. We haven't been in this position before. Um, this is probably the first time ever we've had this much money to spend. Um, doesn't mean we're going to spend all of it on July 1st. Um, you know, we have to sort of look over the next horizon of years and plan for that. But um, we weren't in this position a year ago or two years ago. You know, we had we were in shopping in a different marketplace. So um, we have the capability to to look at that, and we're going to do that um, trades as well. Um, you know, sometimes that's another way to um, – depends on which kind of players you're looking for, if they're available in the summer. Um, sometimes they are, and sometimes you have to do it through trades. So there will be some moving parts, but um, I wouldn't expect, like, sweeping changes. I think we've got a lot of good things here, and I think we, we showed that, like I said, our last 50 games we played, um, you know, some really good hockey. So we're trying to build on that, not really change it dramatically. Yeah, that's really premature now to be talking about his contract. The season ended yesterday, but uh, he had a great season. I mean, what a great first two years. Look at, you know, I think he, he came onto the scene with 28 goals in his rookie year. That was impressive, and he follows it up with a... Uh, 40 goal season so you know you look at the you look at where we're at and there's reason for excitement about Alex so um, 
it's too early to say whether we're going to sign him leading into his year or um, at the end of his contract. That's a discussion we'll have with his agent. You know that sometimes agents want to get it done quickly. Sometimes they don't. The, you know, it's way too early to say on that. How happy are you at this point with your defense, your top six to eight that are here, and with what's coming? Do you have a, a playoff-worthy defense either here or on the way for next year? Well, the defense, obviously our goals against it was not a strength of our team this year. That's something we've got to improve on. Um, so a lot of times that's what gets lumped into our defensemen as a group. And they play a large role in that. But it's not exclusively on them. It's, it's A lot of times it's sort of a, a team-wide approach. And sometimes your forwards put your defensemen in a lot of tough spots. Um, so there's no question that we have to improve um, and cut down on how many goals we give up. Uh, and I think we did show signs of progress, though, as the year went on. I think if you look at the last month of the season, not every game, but a lot of the games we were much more, uh, we played much more the way a good team would play. We didn't always match up our offense in those games. I think, you know, we went through a stretch there where we were really tightening it up. Um, even with the current group, you know, that the first half it looked like they weren't good enough. And then all of a sudden, you know, we start playing better as a team, and then you, you think, people say you need a bunch of new defensemen. And, you know, we would like to try to upgrade if we can, but even with the same group, we showed a lot of progress. Um, so part of that is becoming more accustomed to the way we had to play as a team. Part of it was our forwards doing a better job of not putting our defense in such a bad spot. So it's a really a team, it's a team approach. Um, but you're right. If we can find a way to upgrade our defensemen, we will. Um, but I do think even with the current group of guys, um, we're looking for them to improve and to take a step forward. We did see signs of that as the year went on. So I think, um, but we need to keep, we need to be better on our defensive side. Do you think any of those young guys Potentially. Um, but it, it doesn't do really anybody good to sort of, prognosticate that right now like let's just let it play out and we'll see how it goes um especially for defensemen it's hard to play as a young defenseman your first year pro to jump into the nhl i mean a few guys do it around the league every year a handful not many um there's a lot of great nhl defensemen that spent a couple years duncan keith's a guy right close to home here he spent a couple two full seasons in the in the minors, I don't think it hurt him. He's have a Hall of Fame career, so um, you know, that's something that's hard to really roadmap. Who's going to be here when? We just need these guys to keep taking a step forward, and when they're ready, and when we need them in Chicago, they'll be here. How, how realistic is it to expect the guys who had career years this year to sustain or even exceed that? You almost have to head into the offseason thinking that that may have been more the exception than the rule with some of the numbers that they put up? Yeah, I, I don't buy into that. I understand that's probably a common narrative around here that um, – the one thing I know is we can't predict what's going to happen next year for any of our guys. Um, across the league, players have good seasons followed by years when they're down. Nobody would have predicted it. Um, I think we all know these players. I think you're referring to guys like T- Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. I mean, they're they're elite players, Hall of Famers. They have a ton of pride. They put a, a lot of work into their preparation and uh, if anything, I think it's it's exciting that they had such great seasons. I, I don't look at that as a negative at all. I think that they showed that they've um, they've got a lot of hockey left. So um, I realize not everybody sees it that way, but uh, I think it's reason for excitement and optimism to see how they led our team this year. And there, there's no reason in my mind that they can't be just as good next year. So um, it, to me, it's not going to be a failure if if they both finish two points below where they are now or five points below or five points above. It's not really about how many points they get. It's about their contribution to the team. And this year they had a big, huge contribution. I think looking at our power play, um, you know, they played a big role in that. And, um, you know, we want, that, we want that to be even better. I think that was a bright spot in the second half. Um, but we want to build on that and to be even better next year. So, um, you know, I, I think it's... I think it's a great story that those two guys at the age of 30 had the seasons they did, and there's no reason they can't build on it. Stan, how would you evaluate Jeremy and the job that he did, especially for 
I thought Jeremy did <clears throat> a fantastic job of keeping our group together, keeping our guys focused on the next game, even early on when there were some struggles and there was uh, it was a trying time. It was his first opportunity as an NHL head coach, and he had a lot of uh, – persistence and positivity and he just stuck with it let's let's keep trying guys um and i think certainly it's nice to see a reward when the team starts to click and you start to see the the wins coming on and you realize that um you know his patience paid off and uh you know there's there's always going to be challenges year to year um just because we ended this year on a better note doesn't mean we're going to necessarily start strong but i think one thing we learned about this year is the importance of a stronger start um that that's really what did us in here this year so uh full credit to jeremy for having the conviction to stick with it the positivity um he didn't really change his approach even when the wins weren't there um he was pretty consistent and i think in time our guys uh you know found the path ahead and and it led us to a good spot. You heard Stan there being asked about Alex Dabrinkit's contract situation and with Nick Schmaltz signing, what was it, a, a seven-year contract worth an average of just under $6 million with the Arizona Coyotes. I don't think, uh, unless Nick Schmaltz was going to have the same type of season that he had last year and over the first couple of months, he clearly wasn't going to have that here with the Blackhawks. He was causing some frustration. Went to Arizona, played well, but in return, Dylan Strome played well, Brennan Perlini played well in spurts, and then you have Alex Dabrinkit. Strome and Dabrinkit can be restricted free agents a year from now, and Contract talk, you heard Stan there say it's it's way too premature to uh, discuss Alex's situation. But with <laughs> if Nick Schmaltz is going to make an average of $5.85 million a year with what Alex Dabrinkit has done production-wise in his first two years, it's going to be a little higher than that. Well, I, you know, I think you, you predicted Dabrinkit's would – we you know, everyone kind of thought Dabrinkit's would be more than that. Anyways, you, you figure at least um, – I mean, I don't know. What, what does he try to get – Eight. He's a discount at seven and a half. But uh, you know who who I think uh, whose contract this affects is is the guy that was traded for him in, in Strom because you know Schmaltz is very lucky to get this. And, you know, good for him. It's a, it's a tough situation to be in. He was playing well right after the trade. Got a uh, season ending injury and uh, a lower body injury and uh, didn't play the rest of the season. Obviously, so to get that lucrative uh, long term deal, I mean, is crazy and. You know, I think that's probably what, given the season Strom's had with 51 points in 58 games since coming to the Hawks, you know, you figure whether they're trying to probably sign him at $5 million and, and this, this might impact that a little bit. It might not, too. He's, you know, I'm sure he's more than happy to stay in Chicago and play with his buddy Dabrinkit. So, you know, you got to figure there probably was going to be some kind of a home count, hometown discount in there anyways. And obviously that factors into the salary cap space that Stan does have moving forward here, whether he pushes the, you know, kicks the kicks the rock down the road a little bit and, you know, risk that price going up even more. But with some, you know, welcome salary cap space, he also has to figure in what he's going to have to shell out for, uh, for those two guys in particular. I mean, it was, you know, the fear of that was part of the reason he traded Artemi Panarin, and, and Brandon Saad came back at a, a fixed price that uh, he knew he was going to have to pay over the extent of the deal that Saad eventually signed there. So uh, I, you also heard me ask Stan about whether it's realistic to expect that Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves can build off of or at least match the career years that they have. Same for Dabrinkit with 41 goals, although he didn't go to that conclusion. And I can also include Eric Gustafson in that mix as well, whether those guys are ever going to be as productive as they were last season. Uh, he thought it was going to, you know, he, he took it as a very much glass half full that he's excited about them reaching those types of numbers and there's no reason that they shouldn't necessarily do it again. I'm kind of of the mindset that you almost have to safeguard yourself in in building depth on that roster and not necessarily bank on those guys having, you know, 41 goals and 35 goals and 44 goals again next season. That that's not necessarily money in the bank from this point moving forward, even though they did it this year. Yeah, no, you don't want to have to depend on those guys doing that. I mean, we've seen how consistent Kane has been. Taves with a few bad seasons, maybe he's working through something. 
Uh, maybe he's not, but you know, he he changed his training regimen heading into this past season, and it it worked. You know, I think that had to be the biggest thing. Just how much lighter he was on his skates, how much more involved in the play he was, and 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 carrying the puck, uh, his possession, and and all that. And look, you talk about you know. The team tweaking things, Tavis said even he with his training regimen is going to tweak a couple things this offseason, which, I mean, you know, very interesting to you wonder what he's, what does that mean? He's going to spend an extra two minutes on the treadmill? I, I don't know because he, he looks so good this year from whatever he did last year. So and An extra two minutes on the treadmill for both of us. That, <laughs> yeah, that's, doctors, that's, more than, that's more than a tweak. <laughs> doctor's orders starting after the podcast. Uh no, no. I think it's you know it's just it's great to see those guys uh, do that. Obviously, huge positive, and and you like you were alluding to, Chris. You you make sure the right guys are around them because you don't want Patrick Kane double shifting every game and every situation, every uh, you know way more time on a power play than he should have. That was another thing Bowman discussed. What? Or, I'm sorry, uh, Calton. Actually, we're going to get to later uh, a bit more discussed. Uh, targeting using Kane the right way. Yeah, and the same goes for Jonathan Davis. His season is even even more fantastic with his career numbers when you also take into account how much he is used in crucial situations. This circles back to finding another good face-off guy you can rely upon because David Camp has been hot and cold. I think he ended up the season under 50% anyway. Dylan Strom really struggled in the faceoff dot, even though in his previous time in Arizona, he was very good. He was up around 54%. When he came here, he started struggling. But, you know, you use Kane on power play. You use him on penalty kill. You use him on defensive zone faceoffs. Um, and, you know, you roll him out there in the important times of the game, building up that roster as he grows older. And that's that's why part of the reason why I asked Dan that question is because he is used so much and in such you know, stressful heavy minute situations that I don't know if you can necessarily you hope that he can repeat what he did but I don't know if you can necessarily bank it on the other side of 30 even though we reach those numbers at the age of 30 all right uh, before we talk Jeremy let's hear from Jeremy at the uh, farewell press conference with some of the things he had to say about uh, his team's progress his team still not being good enough and uh, then we'll talk a little bit about uh, our thoughts on Jeremy's first year as head coach of the Blackhawks after we hear from him himself ultimately we want to get in and we want to get in the playoffs. We want to still be playing. It's a disappointment to not be. Um, we thought we were on our way and had a chance. But uh, I think ultimately the, the progression, we got better. And, and we got <clears throat> some things to build on going into next season. Um, we, we will continue to make progress, but we're not starting from scratch. And that's exciting. And, uh, you know, there's... Got an opportunity to build relationships with all these guys, and uh, they know me, and I know them, and and I just think it will allow us to, you know, we, we need to have a much better start. That ultimately, it was too big a hole to crawl out of um, where we were in, in December, uh, but I think we position ourselves with a lot of work in the off season here and in training camp to have a much better beginning to the season. Jeremy, what's your your top priority to the? Well, I think it's still defensively, um, both five on five, certainly the penalty kill. Um, I think we saw probably more progress five on five in the second half, well, obviously, uh, than, than the penalty kill. And we showed that we can be a dynamic offensive team and we can put the puck in the net and, and play a, you know, a quick strike transition style. If we get better defensively, that's only going to get better. Um, we'll be even more dangerous with the puck. And um, again, we made progress, and that's good. We can just continue on, and, and uh, we'll be a much harder team to play against, I think. Does the PK need someone to come in from, from without the organization, a specialist of some sort, or do you believe that the guys you have can turn up what was the worst PK in the league or something? Well, we're going to look at everything for sure. We're going to look at, uh, you know, obviously tactically, and we're going to look at the personnel and how we're using guys and try to put them in the best situation we can. And maybe that's new, different guys who weren't getting the opportunity, or maybe that's someone from outside. Uh, we we got to look at everything, and uh, we will. Jeremy, what is your 
where defensively you say, this is what we want to go find yeah, well, I think we, you need you need a mix. We uh, can't all play like Gus, you know, and and that's. But at the same time, we want guys who can transition the puck. Uh, if you're able to break out clean and and get from once you win the puck back, if you can make a tape to tape play and, and break out clean and get going the other way, then it helps you defensively too. So uh, probably. If we're looking to improve again, it's it's defending hard. Whether that's up the ice at the you know at their blue line or at our blue line, or getting out of D zone, that's probably the number one priority for us now. And and what I think it's the easiest to to improve on too. It's just bearing down, finding a way to whether that like I said, defending the rush, defending the line, forcing turnovers, or in D zone coverage, finding a way to get a stop, finding a way to, to create a loose puck and then winning the battle and going the other way. You, you often seem to paint it as a, 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 something that could be done, something that is a choice. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like guys were resistant to that at times this year, unwilling to play the way you want? No, I, I just think it's that we're not far enough along into progression and changing how we want to play. It's it's difficult to have a really tight gap because it's a lot of work, and you gotta whether that's keeping your shift short, whether that's um, just being willing to commit to it. If you have a tighter gap, it's easier to defend, but it's it's tough work. But everyone can do it. It's it's not a question of skill to have a tight gap. I mean, you just got to do it. You got to move. You got to get up, and then it's easier to defend. But it's a habit too. And I think when you can't practice. It's a lot of just video, and it's a lot of talking, it's a lot of communication, and there's a benefit to that, and I think you can make strides, but we also got to practice more. Did your forwards get to the point where they were playing defensively the way that you wanted, or is that also still something that you're working for? Well, it's better than it was. We're not where we need to be. I don't think if you compare how our forwards play to some of the top defensive teams, I don't think we're there. And uh, I mean, some of the games where we really did you know, where the back pressure was excellent and the response when the puck turns over from offense to defense, when we were flying back with not just one guy but two and three forwards, then all of a sudden our defense looked really good. And there, that's no coincidence. So we're going to continue to stress that. And, again, that's one more thing that you right from the beginning of training camp and, and practice time. It's this is how we have to play. And, and uh, if we do, then we're going to be a much better team defensively. Is it a fine line for some of those guys who are obviously great offensive players to be on the right side of the check that decision-making? Is that, is that something you're going to insist on? It's just a habit. And, again, just because you're doing that doesn't mean you're giving up offense. In fact, I believe you get more. You get the puck back quicker, you force turnovers, then you have transition opportunities. Um, if you're slow on the way back, then there's no back pressure, then the D can't hold the gap, and then it's a clean entry, and then you're playing D zone, and then you waste your shift. So we got to do it. Jeremy, how, how confident and comfortable are you that when it comes to personnel decisions, especially this offseason, that it will be a, your, your voice will be heard and that will be that kind of collaboration to, even if you're pounding your fist on the desk for, to go get a guy that, that you'll be heard? Well, it's not, it's not pounding the fist on the desk. It's We're talking all the time. We talk almost every day during the season. It's a back and forth with regard to the roster or how we're playing or uh, throwing ideas around tactically. And it's going to be no different here. We're going to watch a lot of hockey. We're going to talk about the team. What do we need to win? We're all on the same page. So um, excited. Excited for the offseason. We've got a lot of work to do in, in a lot of different ways. Do you want to use Stain less moving forward? Do you think that had an impact on just how heavily you were forced to lean on him in the earlier months? I would like to be more, um, use him in a more targeted way. Uh, if we're going to play him a lot, we want it to be in the best situation for him to produce. And uh, I think there were times this year, you know, whether it was injuries or we were having trouble scoring goals early on or we were behind, you know, the, the whole the first three months that I started, we seemed like we're behind almost every game. So you're forced to, we're trying to manufacture offense, trying to manufacture depth, trying to get get them away from a matchup. Um, We'd like to not do that every game. You know, he can can he do it? Yeah, he can do it. He can play 25 minutes, no problem. He looks like there's some games, you know, 
I'd say to him, listen, I got to back off a little bit here. He's like, why? I feel great. And he looked great. He was flying. But uh, I don't want to do that every night. Jeremy Carlton's record ends up being 27, I'm sorry, 30, 28, and 9. Uh, over the last 50 games that you heard Stan Bowman talking about, the Blackhawks, 27, 16, and 7. That would get them into the playoffs. That's 61 points through 50 games. So that would certainly be at a playoff pace. Uh, but, again, uh, changes will be made. The degree of changes will find out. But you certainly can't expect to go into next season with largely the same group of guys without you know a few key new faces in there. Um, and hope that the improvement just comes from within and from being in that system once again. But all in all, I was really impressed. I don't know about you, Scott, but I was really impressed by Jeremy. You know, I had been exposed to him a little bit last year during Rockford's playoff run. He also you know, stopped by during the season, ran some practices like Rockford did again this year. But uh, always impressed with him as, as a person. I think even more so as a coach. And the fact that who knows truly behind the scenes if you know perhaps there were there was any type of friction when he first came over, especially within a group of guys who had basically played only for Joel Quenville throughout his career, uh, their careers. But everything that we hear is that everyone brought bought in, even though he was thirty three going on thirty four, and the steady hand and the way he ran this club giving veterans their due when necessary in terms of playing time and other things. And pretty much the way he managed a game, especially as the season went along, I thought he got better at that. And we said before, we knew Jeremy was going to be the guy once Joel left. People were surprised it happened this quickly. Everyone was surprised that it happened this quickly. But I think now we're seeing, starting to see what Stan also saw when you know he kind of uncovered this guy or discovered this guy uh, a few years back in Sweden. Yeah, no, I'm also very impressed with the job he did in a very tough situation this year. I was reading someone today who who said you know he wasn't a, a success because they didn't make it to the playoffs, and that's you know you measure every coach, every team, every. Not every player, but every team and coach by that every year. And I, I don't agree, agree with him in particular. When you look at what he came into, we were there on November 6th when they fired Q and, and brought Jeremy in. You know, he uh, wasn't a smile anywhere for Jeremy or, uh, you know, uh, good luck, uh, good for you. It was all, and, you know, it was also appropriate because Joel meant so much to the team and in the city. So a tough situation for him to come into. Like you said, his age, you know, I think age mattered too much. Except when you look at the the room and and how you know guys are his age, they have to go in there and say, "No, I want you to to, to do these things and play this way." And them going forward, one of the themes again that we've already kind of beaten to the ground and was beaten to the ground today is them having a full camp with his system that they had to you know really start learning on the fly if they wanted to then if they were ready to then as a group uh, on November sixth you know and. Uh, kind of end up getting it the second half of the season and, and utilizing it the right way once they have a full camp to do that you know things really should pan out and for him to to get them in the last week where they're they're still mathematically in it in terms of making um the uh, the wild card uh, getting a wild card spot and i'm finishing over 500 I, you know i think with with everything he jumped into and the way he ended up turning things around they lost five straight um leading to Quinville's firing, lost a bunch of games November, December, right after he got the job, and then, and then things started to turn around. So I think a success, and uh, yeah, a lot of credit goes to him. Yeah, I'm really curious and anxious to see how he further grows as an NHL head coach. Over the last 50 games, 27, 16, and 7, and hopefully an even better opportunity with whatever changes are made. And speaking of change, by all accounts here as we record on Sunday night, Joel is on his way to beautiful Florida, no, not to retire, but to become head coach of those Florida Panthers reunited with Dale Talon. And yeah, uh, there were three places I thought potentially he would land. I was hoping he wouldn't land in Minnesota, although I haven't heard any news today that Bruce Boudreaux is out. But, um, you know, that mix there with a former Nashville guy, 
taking over as GM and then Bruce Boudreau guaranteeing they'd make the playoffs and instead they finished behind the Blackhawks in last place. Um, yeah, forgive me, I've been I've been up to my eyebrows in Blackhawks here, so I'm not sure whether there's any news on Bruce Boudreau today. I thought that might be a possibility because there is talent up there in Minnesota that just hasn't reached any potential. Philadelphia with some real high-end offensive players there already, some young defensemen that are already on that roster that have a lot of promise, and most importantly, it appears as though they have their goalie of the future in Carter Hart. I thought that might be the most likely possibility, and the only reason I didn't necessarily see him going to Florida was that's a dead hockey <laughs> hockey area, but Dale's apparently banking on it that that he is going to be the guy to turn things around. And man, they have some talent down there, offensively in Barkoff and Uberdo and Dadanoff and Trocheck and Hoffman, a couple of other players there. They need to get better defensively. But you know what this is also going to do is it's going to stoke the fire of Panarin and Bobrovsky going down to Florida to uh, Panarin reunite with Joel and reunite with Alexander Barkov, who he has a good friendship with. The old package deal might be headed to the warm weather, I'm thinking. I think, I, I think that gets even louder and louder, even as Columbus finds a way to make the playoffs and they have to play a Florida team, except it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's what people refer to us as, around the Blackhawks, the package deal. Uh, you get Bowden and King. Do you think, do you think Q springs for a, a Disney annual pass? With I mean, how, how far? His kids are grown. Far. Yeah, they're grown. No, how, did you believe any of those reports that he's going to go to Philly? I mean, people kept hammering those reports that he's linked to the Flyers. Did, yeah. Why in the world we go to the Flyers. Why not? I mean, there, there, there's Couturier and Giroux and JVR and and um, uh, who am I missing there? The one center. But but there's talent there. There's a lot of good young talent defensively. And I thought maybe the Carter Hart thing, the way he's developed and kind of taken that situation that's been a nightmare for them for 20 years now, I thought that that might be the, the, the door that would open to him in terms of instantly contending. But he has an opportunity to do that here with Florida. If he gets some defense down there, he has an opportunity to do the same thing down in Florida. I shouldn't think you'd want to live in Philly with the people of Philly. (laughs) There are places places that that Joel could stay at. Yeah, I knew they were a playoff team. I just didn't know if they could, you know, one that could get to the conference final or or, or go deep. But uh, yeah, we'll see how he does in Florida. Good for him if he accepts the job. Yeah, and it's going to, July 1st is going to be really, really interesting, not only here, but uh, in terms of where some of those those stars go. Uh, hey, before we hear from Doc Emmerich, because I want to play a little interview that I had with him when he was in last week for the Blues game, um, as, as you look at some of those, those uh, playoff matchups, um, any any particularly intriguing to you? I find it amazing that Columbus struggled and then found a way to get it together over the last two weeks of the season to sneak into the playoffs, and then they draw the Tampa Bay Lightning. So that that is a huge, huge challenge for them playing the best team, but you know what? They they could probably put a scare in them. There's one they're one of those teams that's hitting the hitting the um postseason hot. Um but to me the St. Louis Winnipeg one is going to be real interesting to watch here as that home ice advantage was, you know, down to the final uh game as a matter of fact on on Saturday night. And the other one is the Islanders in Pittsburgh. I'm I'm really interested to see how that series shakes out. What do you think is going to happen there? See, I, that's one team I wasn't familiar with. I, I felt like was the Islanders. Like, can they can they match up with the Penguins? Oh, I think they can. Based on the the jumps that they have made defensively this year and their goaltending, we won't circle back. to By the way, we won't circle back to our mid season <laughs> mid season awards picks. Say, uh, next year, we're not going to circle back to this either. Uh, yeah, no. I th- so that could be that could be an interesting series. And Pittsburgh's I, been you know real inconsistent. They've done enough to get back in. Yeah, and I don't like the way Winnipeg's played down the stretch. But yeah, you know what? Once 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 these playoffs start. You know, St. Louis has been red hot. You don't know how a rookie goalie is going to react to playoff situation. Winnipeg, I don't like the way they've been playing down the stretch. I don't like the way that either San Jose or Vegas have been playing down yeah. the stretch. But you know, they get each other there, and that is important too because you, you think these good teams, teams that are dangerous, 
and look like juggernauts early in the season, the first half, that they can just flip a switch. But Tyler Seguin was telling me uh, that you can't, that there's not. And we've seen that with the Hawks, too. So uh, speaking of him, I think I think Dallas and Nashville could have the makings of the two really cool places. So, uh, I, But I think that... The, I think Our colleague Tracy Myers, gosh Darn it, she has to cover that. Series. No, I, yeah, I told her enjoy it um, after the media availability today. It's a, it's a good, it's gonna be a good series to you know attend. But I, I think that you know we've seen Dallas a bit. Nashville's a dangerous team. That could be a fun one. I think uh, I, I like Boston, Toronto too. I actually don't know who's gonna win that. I have to think about it. See, I have no doubt Boston's gonna win that series. Really? They, they won it last year. And Toronto has really struggled down the stretch. They can't defend. Stretch got me the stretch. The, yeah, they can't yeah. defend. So I think I think that might be end up being a fairly quick series. So whenever we do our next podcast, we'll obviously circle back to some of these thoughts, and we won't circle back to some of our our mid season picks for some of the honors for some of the. A, we got Do you think we're going to do one before the final? Should we? Pick oh yes, yeah, yeah, we'll, okay. we'll okay. definitely we'll definitely we'll do save one of those. Something for that. On that note, uh, I got a chance to catch up with Doc Emmerich, who unfortunately will not be here. After his most previous appearance on Wednesday at the United Center when the Blackhawks took on St. Louis, the last national game of the year for the Blackhawks. Every spring we're so used to seeing Doc here with Edzo and doing those national games. And I had a chance to catch up with him. We played this on the postgame show on Wednesday night. But Doc is so good. So kind, such a gracious guy, and and a smart one as well when it comes to this league and other matters, too. We thought you'd enjoy this before we come back and wrap this thing up. Well, are you going to uh, miss Chicago as much as Chicago is going to miss you this spring? I am going to, yes. Uh, There are a lot of wonderful memories of being in Chicago at this time of the year, and that includes like three different decades. So, you know, all of this is cyclical, Mm -hmm. and there was a period of time that was kind of empty, preceded by a time that was full, Mm -hmm. and then a time time that was empty preceded by a time over at the raucous place that was full too so this is just one of those gaps that's very hard for fans to to live through but there'll be other days as you get set to go on this exhilarating ride for two months without us um what are your impressions about how close the blackhawks are and and what you know what are you hearing around the league in terms of the, the direction they're headed even though they're missing out here for a second straight year well it was heartening in that you got such tremendous production from star players and and the resiliency they had to bounce back from uh, especially in Taves case from a season that he didn't like and and all of those things that have been probably talked to death in Chicago but it is it's not an overnight repair as they have learned in Detroit and as uh, a former 21-year guy around New Jersey, as they learned in New Jersey. It doesn't happen really fast, but it seems to be on target in Detroit to happen a little faster than I thought, and it seems to be headed to a faster conclusion here. I don't know if that means playoffs next year, but it might, um, because this it, this is a heartening sort of finish to see, especially with a healthy Crawford and the performance he put on starting 12 straight, or was it 13? It might have been 13. And so there, there certainly is is reason to hope, but when you are thirtieth in goals against, and when you are thirty first in penalty kill, you have some serious repairs to make, and and defensively, and you just you don't usually make the playoffs with those kinds of numbers, and I think that was probably the undoing, and then that stretch. Um, you know, after Joel left when they really suffered mightily just after the transition. Um, as my buddy, Mr. Olchek, would say, an old adage about you can't win a horse race in the first quarter mile, you can sure lose one. And I think back in the first quarter, that's probably where this tailed off. How do you regard Jeremy Colleton, and how is he regarded around the league so far? Well, I think that in a year in which uh, there have been some tremendous coaching jobs, I mean, uh, you always wind up looking at the record, and it's uh, very close to NHL 500, which is wins and losses are about the same, and uh, and the extra time uh, washes out. So in terms of getting done what he wanted to get done, I think he's, he's done a, a splendid job of that. It was unfortunately only good enough to get one hour of second wild card, mm-hmm. but 
he did have the loss of his goaltender, which was significant, too. Um, this is a year when it was very hard to cast a ballot for three guys for Coach of the Year because there were about ten that did splendid jobs, and one of them was the other coach in this game tonight, and Craig Berube, and he did get one of my three because that was a turnaround that was of magnificent proportions. But, um, you know, they... Uh, this is a franchise that does not sit tight on things, and they have you know decisions that they need to make ongoing in terms of how they make this better in the year ahead, in terms of player personnel and every other way. But I feel like it will get better because this is not a group that rests, and the one sure way to have it get worse is to rest. They don't rest here. What do you, as you get to see a lot of teams. What do you make of the West this year? Because either it's been comp- – well, it has been competitive, but it also seems like the top-end teams have not been able to get that one last push to kind of separate themselves. It's it's kind of a bunched-up pack here. Yeah, and we have been in a league this year in the Western Conference where everybody's had a really big streak and a really bad one. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the Blackhawks won seven straight at one point. They won five straight at one point. The Blues won 12 in a row at one point. Uh, but you look at the Jets and how strong they were at one time, and Nashville, how they won the first eight games away from home. And then where where have they been? Where, what happened to them? And it's, it points up the parity, and it points up that no one can seem to generate anything overwhelming except maybe Boston and except Secretariat down in Tampa. Mm-hmm. And that is the most impressive team that I've seen since the salary cap was brought about. I mean, they've dominated. Yeah. But... There is something mysterious that happens in the three days from the end of the season to the start of the playoffs. And a lot of it is who you draw and whether that team is a physical team against a more finesse team. And if you beat them, how much you get beat up in the process because it's four rounds. It's not one. It's not two. It's four. (laughs) And if you get a better route to the playoffs than the team coming out of the West, you stand a better chance of winning the Stanley Cup final. So it'll be intriguing to see who Tampa Bay plays. We don't know yet. And it'll be intriguing to see how they handle the first round. Because when you're the heavy, heavy favorite, the first round is always hard. I'll never forget, I was uh, listening to Scotty Bowman talk from the floor of Chicago Stadium after the final game of the regular season. And his team had galloped away with 110 points or something. And he said, I always worry about the first round because the team that we will play, and this was one against eight, Mm -hmm. the team that we will play has had to play well above itself just to get here to play us. And we haven't had that kind of pressure. And it'll be a challenge for us. Well, coaches always say that. Because they want to have a way to get their guys gunned up. Coaches always say that, but there's an element of truth to it, too. That's what makes this whole tournament coming up so exciting. But you're right. I'll sure miss the trips to Chicago. And speaking of which, you've had your guy back all year this year, Edzo. And uh, I'm sure we loved having him around here every day. Um, But what did you learn from him over the course of the past year and a half? That... He can teach as many people about cancer as he can about horse racing and (laughs) hockey. We can learn a lot about those two sports from him, but I think the number one thing that I came away with was that there may be people that are going to be diagnosed next week or have been last week that followed his story last year because he made it so public and because he worked with the Blackhawks and he worked with us at NBC on the off week while he was getting treatments. And they will have learned from that. Chemo's rotten. But that guy didn't let it get him down and he even showed up in front of people and he worked in the off week. I was having lunch with an oncologist friend of mine, and this was last spring, and he was talking to me about Eddie. He didn't know him, but he knew that I worked with him, and he knew what he was going through. And he said, where is he now? And I said, he's, he's finished number 12, and that's it. 
And he said, he shook his head, and he said, you know, a lot of my patients get to 10, Mm. and they can't take it anymore. Mm. So hats off to him, he got to 12. But So I think I learned as much about that from him, even though I'm a survivor myself. I didn't have much to go through. I, I uh, I had prostate cancer. It was caught early. So I had an easy route, no chemo and no radiation. So my trip was easy. His was hard. So I'm just glad he's there. And um, I'm sure I'm going to learn more. Whether I care to or not, I'm going to learn more about the Kentucky Derby uh, because it's getting closer and closer all the time. And and I will gladly learn it because my 94-year-old stepmom living in central Indiana uh, always says, who does Eddie like in the race? And I always make a wager legally for her on race day. Well, enjoy. Enjoy the ride without us again, unfortunately, this year. And uh, always great visiting with you. Have fun. Thank you. 50,000 watts, and that means I can get you day and night, and, of course, with the stream all the time. And um, from early in the morning until sometimes in the middle of the night, how does Nick come up with things to say at 2 o'clock in the morning? It's mystifying to me, but I, I love listening to all of you, and I thank you so much. Thank you. The great Doc Emmerich. It was a pleasure to... Uh, uh, join him on uh, Wednesday. Glad we had a chance to catch up. We wanted to do it all season long, and luckily I had one last opportunity on Wednesday to do that. So hope you enjoyed it. Unfortunately, no Blackhawks games for him to call this spring. And uh, Doc, as is his usual custom when he comes here, he goes to lunch at Palace Grill. And we decided to do the same. I've been telling myself I was going to do it at some point before the end of the season, and uh, I was up against it because. <laughs> Because when Friday rolled around, I still hadn't uh, still hadn't done it. But uh, we expanded the group. You expanded your group that you usually take over to George's yeah. place, and uh, we all had ourselves we all had ourselves a good time. Uh, we posted a picture on Twitter, and funny, I'm I'm the guy in that picture without any food in front of me because I came late. <laughs> Everyone else has food in front of them, but then the way my shirt is sitting, it looks like I'm the guy who just finished. Which was was a humongous omelet and hash browns, but it looked like I had already eaten it the way my shirt was was sitting in the front of that picture. But anyway, it was a good old raucous time, as it always is, with our, our buddy George over yes. at Palace. I, I expanded the group. I, I opened my arms to... to uh Yourself and John Whiteman, who was... It was great to have John there. I mean, you know, John left a little, a little after you got there, maybe, uh, not because... It, and no, it was because I showed up. <laughs> but I, I was going to say, the owner, George, so if you go to Palace Grill, uh, a bunch of great Hawks memorabilia and pictures on the wall. Great, there is no space on the wall, No, by the way. nor should there be. Uh, just great, a great, you know, diner, grill, lunch place, uh, really good breakfast, food, or lunch. And you might catch the owner, George, in there, who is a character. And he uh, is known to tell some jokes, some, some people... May find them a bit off color. I appreciate them, and I I have been going there myself uh, for five years. A lot of the writers, media people, uh, much longer. But I think he set a record for telling jokes at our lunch. He was so excited to see us all. Yeah, uh, maybe that was the reason. I don't know. And, and and by the way, if if you're faint of heart, George's voice is probably loud enough where if you're at an adjoining table or one across the restaurant, you'll probably end up hearing the jokes whether you like him or not. Anyway, so Georgie Dice Clay was on a roll when we saw him on Friday, and uh, you have to have a strong stomach while you're eating as well and when listening to those jokes in order to accomplish those two things at the same time but we appreciate george's hospitality it's been a long time since i've been in there so it was really great to to go back in there reconnect and um he was fun it was funny he brought up the one time when i used to do shoot the puck on the tv side george shot the puck one night when when i was doing it and Prior to the on-air portion of it, he was he was on a roll with his jokes, you know, uh, under underneath the stands before he we went out there. And on the air, I asked him, George, are there any jokes that uh, you can share with us on the air that are suitable for on the air? And he goes, Chris, yeah, I I just told like about twenty minutes worth of jokes, and I don't think any of them can <laughs> are suitable for the air. So you're not going to have one here. Oh so uh, great to see George once again. And finally, as we wrap up here, a near tragedy at your household uh, over the last couple of days that uh, you filled me in on during a bathroom break uh, during the uh, Friday <laughs> during the Friday oh, game, Lord. and 
You're actually you're actually a pretty pretty lucky guy there, considering some of the circumstances. Um, yeah, no, there's there's uh, funny elements to the story, not about what happened. It, uh, I um, I was interviewing, so we yeah after our lunch, we had a very nice lunch. Uh, had a had a good morning skate. Got my preview in, and I'm interviewing a comedian after our lunch, a uh, famous comedian named Tom Segura. That will be on Forbes in a, in about a week, and uh, in the middle, I'm, I've got about three questions left, and I see a text from my wife. Um, the refrigerator just set on fire. Okay. So I go, Tom, can I have your email? I'm going to have to uh, send you the last three questions. You just write a response. But he says he was cool about it. We're going to do that. Uh, call her. Yeah, they, they were home. Smelled something funny. Just went, took the kids to the park, uh, my wife and my mother-in-law. And they came back. And one of them opened the fridge, and it was smoking. Fire department yeah. came. I mean, just, you know. Just another thing to deal with with the house and uh, and worry about and so that's you know they they uh, went out and got like a temporary fridge we're gonna get a new one soon it's all gonna be fine and so I'm telling you the story in the press box <laughs> and I hear a very concerned voice who uh, says you're lucky somebody was home right. <laughs> and, and uh, he's exactly right and he comes out as Jamal Maris was also concerned about my house and I appreciate Jammer uh, his concern he, and he was right you know we're lucky they were home could have been disastrous uh, just, just a crazy situation yeah I'm glad everyone's held wait I thought refrigerators are supposed to cool things off, not not heat things up. How, how, what happened? What happened? A, we must have been the order the one that actually heats up your food. <laughs> My goodness, that's what. That, that, that's just a weird thing. But yeah, I'm glad everyone's all right. And if yeah, no thanks. one was home, who knows? Who knows what kind of damage had been done? Yeah. Was there much other damage, or everything? Everything got no, caught? No, it was it was a. You know, if you still open a fridge now, if you ever get tired of not smelling that electric smoke smell, it smells like you know, a couple gassers, then you just open the fridge. <laughs> but uh, it was just a little bit of smoke and a bad smell. Speaking of, speaking of bad smell, there was one day last week when I was home. <laughs> what? And I stepped outside to go run some errands. I, I walk out of the house, and it is the strongest natural gas smell that I have the strongest I have ever smelt in my entire life. And, you know, it's around the house, you know, and I even went towards the edge of the subdivision. I was still hearing it. So, you know, I I call NICOR. Yeah, we've had about two or 300 calls from your area on this, but they still came out to the house about, you know, they eventually made it about an hour later. And they just said there was some mysterious... You know, gas odor that wasn't caused by natural gas in the area, a leak or anything like that, that was making its way across town or something like that. And they started getting calls when it was way east of us, and it was gradually making its way west. And it was like a mystery because all the testing that they did... You know, it, it all came out fine in terms of it being natural gas, but that's exactly what it smelled like. And even when I left, ran some errands and came back, rolled the car window down as I was entering the subdivision, not necessarily on my block, it was still a really strong smell, which prompted me to make the call. But uh, the eighth wonder of the world, yeah, I guess. We're both and, okay now. Yes. So, uh, yeah, but you still have to deal with that smell. Though. Yeah, yeah, I got to get rid of that fridge and get a new one in. But, so that's that smell, your smell, not yours, the, the town's. Thank you. Yours is nice. I've got my high karate. <laughs> so yours is rolling through your town like the like the fog, like a Stephen King movie, just well, rolling through you your town. See it, but I mean, by the way, you described it. I'm surprised. And you, in fact, because you, but you smelt it, but you, in fact, did not dealt it. Is what I did not. No, I All did. Right. I did All not. Right. Yeah, I had a very bland diet the day before. So, on that note. <laughs> You know, we're going to have to figure out when to do another one here. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it in a couple of weeks. I, I do have another interview uh, I'd like to run here. Since we're going, this is this is the fattest, speaking of Palace Grill, this is the fattest podcast we have had. But they're usually this way at the end of the season. P-H-A-T. Right. And so uh, we'll take a break here. But maybe come back in a couple weeks. We'll see if Rockford makes the playoffs. It's looking dim right now. They have three games left. I think they're three or four points out of a playoff spot trying to repeat, even though you know they sent Dylan Sakura down there. They made a couple of trades to try to you know, get the offense up to snuff. 
but right now they're on the outside looking in. If they do make the playoffs, or perhaps they'll have a season-ending media day up there. Maybe I'll run up there, get a couple of interviews with a Sakura or a Yoki Haru or uh, even their coach, Derek King, and also run an interview I did with Brian Campbell concerning a great piece that Blackhawks Originals is running on Blackhawks TV right now uh, called Shift Change, and it's with Adam Boquist. Brian Campbell had a chance multiple times this season to go there and check on Adam Boquist, mentor him, give him some tips, kind of coach him along. He had a good relationship with the London coaching staff, the team that he is on. And uh, I go a little bit more in depth on how Adam was doing this year. They're currently in the second round of the playoffs of the OHL against Guelph. And Mackenzie Entwistle is on that Guelph team. But Adam Boquist had himself a lights-out first round of the playoffs. Six goals in four games, I believe. And so now... Uh, as we record on Sunday, today was game two of that series, and maybe we can circle back to that conversation that I uh, ran on the post-game show, the final post-game show on Saturday with Brian, a little bit more in-depth on how Adam's coming along and how he wanted to get more involved in, in kind of the coaching aspect of things after his first year of retirement and with this crop of young defensemen that the Blackhawks have brought along. Uh, we would run that on a, uh, an additional podcast as well. We'll just see what other kind of content that we have with them next couple weeks and we'll see how bad our playoff predictions are are too so that's a wrap thanks to everybody for listening this season we'll we will have more coming up in the off season and alert you via twitter i'm at at Bowden tweets scott is at at scott king media and uh, we'll also do that on the blackhawks crazy facebook page that's facebook.com backslash blackhawks crazy we encourage you as always to subscribe to the podcast on itunes it'll be there and ready for you whenever we have a fresh one available leave a review too and again love to joe Rome. Mano, in his busy schedule, he still manages fine to do this podcast, and this one was a whopper, folks, with the season wrap-up here. Again, the Blackhawks uh, failed to make the playoffs for a second consecutive year. Better finish than last year, and I'm pretty excited to see what, what transpires over the course of the offseason. Unfortunately, we have to wait at least, uh, what, three more months here? This is April? Yeah. So, anyway, for Scott King, I'm Chris Bowden. Thanks, as always, for joining us. And we'll let you know when we pop up again with a new Fresh Podcast next time.